Hello and welcome to Just The Tonic, the podcast that explores how the arts can have a really positive impact on our lives. I'm Katie Derham and this is the third episode in our second series. And if you missed the first series, well, you can catch up wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us in all the usual places. Across both series, we've heard that countless studies have shown the power of the arts to improve mental health and create positive connections between people. And regular listeners will know that we've been championing the People's Orchestra, a fabulous community of orchestras and choirs based in and around the West Midlands. They're gearing up for their big concert at Birmingham 2022, which is the cultural celebrations for the Commonwealth Games, taking place in the city this summer. We all have a a small part to play in something really big, and that's a very heartwarming thing to do. Alicia Hillman is following in the footsteps of Soweto Kinch and Zosa Cole and continuing the tradition of great Birmingham saxophonists. We'll be finding out how support from the charity Help Musicians has made all the difference to her. It's really allowed me time to just focus on developing and really further refining my skills as a saxophonist and a musician. And I'll be catching up with Help Musicians ambassador and soprano extraordinaire, the national treasure that is Leslie Garrett, CBE. How can successive governments not understand what we give, we as musicians, to society? And the money we generate and the great esteem that we are held in. We're the best in the world at this. And yet, you know, governments give us crumbs. I'm sorry, it just makes me apoplectic. He might have gathered. Such a wonderful conversation. We'll hear more from Leslie later. Do stay tuned. The Birmingham 2022 Festival, though, is the biggest celebration of creativity ever in the West Midlands, and it's one of the largest ever Commonwealth Games cultural programmes. The People's Orchestra is front and central. They've invited orchestral groups and choirs and individuals from the Commonwealth nations to join them for the Commonwealth Community Initiative, a week of events celebrating the best art and culture from the Commonwealth. And to top it off, there's a showcase concert in Birmingham on Sunday the 24th of July. Although we hurt, we hurt the same. Times of sorrow may steer us to troubled seas, but they also shape us to be who we are. And although it's easy to forget, remember, we laugh the same, we cry the same, our hearts beat the same. Never lose sight of this. We are one. Award-winning composer John Kutzelinis composed We Are One, voiced by yours truly, I'll have you know, especially for the Commonwealth Community Initiative. And John has a long tradition of working with the People's Orchestra. I've been a film music composer full-time since 2011. And it was a good nine years ago now, quite a while back. And I contacted Sarah Marshall because at the time I was looking for my music to be performed. I'm an advocate for live musicians and live performance in general. And uh, Sarah was and still is the orchestra manager. I contacted her and she was really lovely and very kind enough to basically take one of my pieces of music on, on board for the People's Orchestra. And this is how 
our professional relationship started and it's been going strong since then. So what was the idea behind We Are One? My first reaction was, okay, so it has to be celebratory and I really love John Williams' uh, fanfares and they derive from classical composers whom he's very influenced heavily himself. But it didn't quite work because I sat down and I started writing a fanfare and I thought it needed something a lot warmer you know, to start with. And then maybe we could build in something big and, and exciting. We got on board a lovely choir and a choir master in, in Ula, uh, who is absolutely wonderful. And I ended up going to Birmingham, which, which is where we recorded it. And it was a wonderful three days. The message was the resilience of the human race, love overcoming hatred, the fact that we're one no matter our background, our color of our skin, orientation, anything, we're one human race. And this is what I wanted to convey through the piece of music, this message. Our reporter Jamie Parker caught up with the players from the People's Orchestra at rehearsals. Hi, I'm Christine and I play tenor sax. How have rehearsals been going for the main Commonwealth concert at the Birmingham 2022 Festival? I think the re uh, rehearsals are going very well. Uh, we've got a, a very exciting uh, repertoire to play that I think the audience will all recognise and enjoy hearing. The music, We Are One, um, is the, the video certainly for that is absolutely fantastic. I'm looking forward to being able to highlight our orchestra in Birmingham. I'm Eric De Silva and I play the first violin. I've been involved with the People's Orchestra for roughly four months and I'm having a really good time. Can you tell me a bit more about the music you'll be performing at the Commonwealth Concert? The music we'll be performing consists of several well-known themes, such as uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, Jurassic Park. We are also doing James Bond, uh, Spectra's Kingdom, music from Up. My name's Jess and I play the flute. I had quite a bit of a break from music for a bit and then coming back is just, it's so much more fun when it's just a hobby. <laughs> There's quite a buzz in the city at the moment with the Commonwealth Games, so it'll be nice to experience that as a performer. There's a few players from Canada and from New Zealand that are playing with the orchestra at the Commonwealth concert, um, so it'll be really fun to play with some different musicians for a change. What kind of legacy do you hope that the Birmingham Commonwealth Festival and Games will leave on the residents of Birmingham and West Midlands area? I hope that everybody that watches will realise that musicians all around the world and from our little towns and villages that we all come from, we can all get together and make a proper spectacle and a music extravaganza. We all have a, a small part to play in something really big and that's a very uh, heartwarming thing to do. Hopefully we can get our name out there more, more as an orchestra and get more players in, get more of a regular audience that will come to all of our concerts and just, yeah, make our name a bit more well-known in the community. It would be amazing. I'd like to have a legacy that shows that Birmingham is a diverse cultural place that has joy in it. Here's Dean Williams from the Orchestra Philharmonia Mundi de Montreal, who will be joining the People's Orchestra for their concert. I sent out a message over Facebook asking for orchestras who would like to do an exchange with us. And TPO answered, and we, we did one exchange with them, and it was incredibly successful. We both had an incredible time, and basically that's what we want to do. We, we want to be able to use like the the uniting power of music to do projects like this. My orchestra, which is called Philharmonia Mundi, 
We've never done anything that I know of that's anywhere near this big. This is something that for any amateur orchestra is just beyond the pale. It's extremely difficult to organize, extremely difficult to put together. The logistics of an event like this for an amateur organization, it's it's very, very close to impossible. And I've got to hand it to TPO for managing to pull this off. We are one. Well, we wish the People's Orchestra all the very best for their Commonwealth Community Initiative and for their big show on the 24th of July. If you'd like to go along, head to their website, thepeoplesorchestra.com, for more information. The charity Help Musicians, which offers career support and advice to artists, reported that 96% of musicians saw the majority of their income wiped out during lockdown, and it is still a really challenging time for many. Birmingham saxophonist Alicia Hillman is really grateful for the help she received from Help Musicians. My family are all musicians. I've always grown up in a very musical family. My parents, my sisters, we we all play. My aunt and uncle were all musicians. But the school that I went to didn't offer saxophone lessons. That wasn't an option. And my dad didn't want us to be defeated. So he, um, he, he taught me himself. He's never had any formal lessons on the saxophone, but he wanted to help me get to a place where I could try and try and get lessons elsewhere. So I've done my undergraduate um, studies on the saxophone at Royal Birmingham Conservatoire. After I spent four years there, I, I decided, you know, I, I need to keep developing. There's so much more I can explore. Um, so I applied to do a postgraduate. And for me, I, I realised that it would be such a shame to let financial reasons stop me from doing a postgraduate degree. So I reached out to help musicians and I've been very lucky to be supported throughout the two years of my studying at Birmingham. Really, it's more than just financial support. In the last two years, I've created a saxophone quartet and having the extra time to not have to work too much outside of my studies has allowed me to focus on building up this quartet. We now get lots of concerts. We've just recorded a studio album as well. So it's really allowed me time to just focus on developing and really further refining my skills as a saxophonist and a musician. Alicia's Saxology project was all about bringing the saxophone to as wide an audience as possible across the West Midlands. The kind of the premise behind my project was to create lots of different ensembles, all showcasing what the saxophone can do, but allowing anyone to join up and anyone to take part. So I, I played in saxophone duos, trios, quartets, octets, um, solo performance with um, the West Midlands Fire Service Band because I'm a regular player in their band so that was an amazing opportunity to try and perform a solo piece with them um, and the other kind of um, ensemble I, I led was a, a massed ensemble and a community-based saxophone choir um, which was formed of students from Staffordshire Music Service and Birmingham Music Service so getting really, truly, really, really young people who have just learned just started learning the saxophone up to people who've been playing it for 30 40 plus years and letting everyone come together and learn from one another um for me saxology it was 
just really such good fun to see everyone kind of meeting new people and learning new things. Alicia also teaches pupils of all ages. I teach really young students and also I've got a lady who I teach and she's 70 and she plays the flute and she's loving it. And just seeing them um, persevere and when they, they start um, learning this new piece or this new technique and they think they can't do it and then they persevere, keep practicing and just seeing um, how happy they are when they they reach their goal and they didn't think they could, that kind of shines a light on, okay, this is what it's like to be a musician. It's a lot of hard work, but also it's so rewarding. I don't know what my life would be without music. I think music just brings a huge joy to my life. Many thanks to Alicia and all the very best to her for the future. Like Alicia, much-loved soprano Leslie Garrett received support from help musicians early in her career when she suffered a serious illness. She went on to become principal soprano with English National Opera. She's performed with the Royal Opera, Welsh National Opera, Opera North. She is a star of musical theatre too, having performed in The Sound of Music and Carousel. And of course... As I said before, she's a national treasure. Leslie was recently on the top deck of one of the buses travelling around London to celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. She is such a wonderful force for good in the music world and it's always great to catch up with her. And I began by asking her about her musical roots. I can't remember a time when music wasn't absolutely part of me. I think because I was born in South Yorkshire, actually on the South Yorkshire Coalfield in a pit village called Thorn, and all my family were miners or railway workers or steel workers. Everybody in the community were working people, uh, men and women. And the glue that held us all together was music. It's so important to, to the community as a sort of relief, I think, from all the work. And it was free, of course. But the miners' welfare, when I was a little girl, as well as schools, of course, as well as the local education authority, were a nor they worked almost together. But, you know, there was such a need for music and such a, a passion to support it that that, that you know they, these great organisations were there providing instruments and, and training. You know, they supported any kid who wanted. To learn. I was incredibly lucky because all my family were profoundly musical. My parents both had beautiful voices. Uh, my mum loved the choral tradition. She sang with Doncaster Choral Society and Scunthorpe Choral Society all her life. My dad was much more of an extrovert. My mum liked to be in a choir, but my, my dad liked to be downstage front and centre. <laughs> I think I take after. Actually, I take after them both because I absolutely love choral music. I think I knew I knew the Messiah before I went to school. I really did. <laughs> my mum and her sisters would just sing that all the time. And my granddad Wall was a dance band leader. He had a, a dance band called Arthur Garrett and the Blackout Boys. <laughs> and he performed in all the clubs. He did the working men's clubs. And my granddad had asthma very badly, so he wasn't allowed to go down the pit. So my great-granddad said to him, memorably, right, lad, if that's not going down the pit, they'll be put to piano. <laughs> and that was because in those days, the next best way of earning a living after mining was in music. There was so much music out there. And he began to win 
national competitions and do really well. He had the chance to go to London to um, further his studies uh, in London. Uh, he'd already got his LLCM, it was the Licensis of the London College of Music. In fact, hold on a minute, I can show you it. It's here. Look at that. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. That was the 18th of April, 1913. So my granddad got that. <laughs> Do you know what? I've got, I've got one of my, my grandmothers, actually. I've got the same thing on my wall at home. I think what's fascinating as well is that obviously all this music was around you and it was very normal to be musical like you, but you have taken it further, haven't you? So what was it do you think that made you want to sort of go, no, it's not just something I'm going to do as a lovely hobby like the rest of my family? Well, I'll just finish off about my granddad because he was important to the story. He decided to get a job in Sheffield and he joined an orchestra. Now, there were lots of small orchestras all playing for the hundreds of um, cinemas there were. Uh, silent movies were huge. And what was great was that the... On a Friday when the new picture came, the pianist and the orchestra would have to write the music for the, for the film. It didn't come with a score. You had to make it up. And Grandad turned out to be good at that. <laughs> and he absolutely loved doing it. He used to play all the overtures to the operas and the suites, Carmen Suite, all those lovely, you know, that lovely incidental music we all know. Anyway, so when I told him that I wanted to become an opera singer and I'd got a place at the Royal Academy of Music and I've got a scholarship to go. He said, hey, lass, that's grand. He said, I'm that proud of you. He said, I love opera, except for singing. (laughs) (laughs) But um, he was very, he was obviously very proud, um, although a bit sceptical about my ability to make a living as an opera singer. But the point of, of all of this is that I can't remember when music just wasn't part of my life. I never considered it as a separate subject. I never even considered it something to study. It was more like breathing or eating. It was nourishment. It was, it was, it nourished me. It, it allowed me to express my emotions, my feelings, from as little as I can remember, music's done that for me and continues to. Um, it both as a listener and as a performer, uh, it is the most cathartic experience for me to perform. Even now, after over 40 years, when I perform for an audience and I can feel that music coming through me and out to the audience, it's almost spirit. It is spiritual. It's a spiritual feeling. It nurtures me and it always will. My husband's a doctor and through knowing me and and my world, he regularly now when when, um, patients come and they're possibly suffering from depression, he will say, have you thought of joining a choir? You know, it will make you feel better. And he he advocates this. I mean, you know, your career has been so stellar, Leslie. Um, but one of the things which I think people realise, but perhaps they don't realise quite, how just how very tough it can be as a musician. And even though you've been hugely successful, I mean, have there been moments in your life where you thought, crikey, this is hard work. Can I go on? How am I going to earn a living? Yes, most definitely. And there's been periods where I've lost my voice. I've lost my health. I've had to stop singing. They were terrifying times. I think I was about 23 when I first had my inklings that it wasn't all plain sailing. I, I'd basically been singing the wrong repertoire, I think. It was before I, I, I got with my singing teacher, Joy Mammon, who finally I met through the Royal Academy. And 
I still have singing lessons with her to this day, possibly because of this experience. But um, I, I developed the beginnings of nodules and I had to stop singing for a whole term while they, that was the treatment. Uh, it still is the treatment, actually. I had to just, I had to rest. That was the first hurdle. But then I was just beginning to have success. I won the Kathleen Ferrier Memorial Competition and I won lots of all the prizes at, in my last year. I, I managed to win, which was a sure sign that Joy was the right teacher and that I was on the right path. And I got to the National Opera Studio and I got my first role in the Wexford Festival. And then I was kind of off um, and Lord Harwood took me on. I worked at Opera North and then I then everything came crashing down. I had uh, a very bad kidney illness, nephritis it was called. But when I got out of hospital, I discovered I couldn't sing anymore. I was, I'd lost my strength. I'd lost my vitality. Uh, I'd lost, I'd, I'd just lost my voice, even though it was still there. I'd literally lost it. It took me a very long time to recover that. It took me about nine months. And it was entirely down to two things. Joy, who whose house I cleaned in exchange for singing lessons because I had no money. I had a range of a second. I had two notes. And we just stretched that range and grew it and basically got my musculature working again. It got me fit. So when I realised how fitness is so important to, to, to good singing. Um, that strength is what you need to be an opera singer. <laughs> but the other absolutely vital component in my recovery was what was then called the Musicians Benevolent Fund. And they were amazing. They picked up this little wounded bird and they set me back on my perch. Was that basically helping you pay your rent? No, it wasn't that. They helped me to find out what was wrong with me. They paid me to see a very good kidney specialist. They paid for me to have treatment to sort out my kidney. They had a medical officer who uh, talked to me for a long time. He got me to see a counsellor. My marriage had broken down at that time, and I was feeling extremely guilty about that. All happened at the same time. This doctor felt that the guilt was causing me not to be able to sing. And I think he was right. And they also, and this was the almost one of the best things they did, they suggested I went to Alexander Technique because I felt, I said, I feel very unbalanced. Everything about my life and particularly my voice feels completely unbalanced. And that helped enormously. And without that support from uh, what is now called Help Musicians, it's changed its name. Without that help, I wouldn't be here. And I've always said that and I've since then worked for them and helped to raise money for other people who are in the dire straits I was in but uh, I was never the same after that I was never I was never the same in what way I think singing for me had been such a natural activity such a, a just a, a form of expression it was it was who I was <laughs> I was a singer I, I didn't learn to be a singer I just was a singer and I took that for granted, as you do if you're born with something. And I never, ever took it for granted again. I realised it, it, it could be taken away from me uh, at a moment's notice. For a time, I wasn't able to sing as freely. It took me a long time to have the courage to sing freely again. After about a year and a half, I auditioned. Uh, and then I got that letter to say, I'm delighted to be able to to offer you the post of principal soprano at English National Opera. 
I, I didn't. I think I cried the rest of the day. <laughs> so relieved and so happy. I felt so at home in that company. It was a wonderful company. But it's such an interesting story, Leslie. It's such a powerful story, but also one which just shines a light of the fact the life of a musician is unbelievably precarious of any artist, really. And I think that those of us who love the arts, you know, you do it because you love it, don't you? You do it because you love it, and also because you can't almost imagine doing anything else. And yet it's so uncertain. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It's a very tricky one, and it's only got trickier in recent times, uh, which we can talk about in a minute. But uh, I, I think that's why I felt so happy at ENO because I had a salary, and if I became sick again, uh, my I would still have my salary. So I I felt very secure, and that's why I was able to rebuild, and that's why I was able to really um, f- achieve my my career because I had that 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 bedrock of security but but when I left there of course it wasn't like that anymore and it's not like that for for most musicians I was incredibly lucky to get that position they're very few and far between and I discovered after I left how precarious it is if if as a freelance musician you become ill you lose your salary immediately (laughs) that's it that's it you you know you have to put money by for those hard times uh, you never know where your next job is coming from. You, you know, you're at the whim of uh, promoters, agents, managers. Fashion. Fashion, mm. absolutely. Mm. Fashion, mm. Uh, all kinds of whimsical things. Uh, now you, <laughs> we're all at the, at, the, at the whims of social media. If you don't have a following, you often don't get employed. It's interesting. I, was, I spent some time on the top of my bus recently in the... <laughs> I'm officially a national treasure now, Katie, so be careful what you say. I was, <laughs> I was on this bus. Thank I'm seeing here, <laughs> down <Sorry> Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm shocked at this idea that I'm a national treasure. I mean, you know, a, a, less, <laughs> a less deeverish person you cannot possibly hope to meet. Anyway, um, I, I was on this bus with uh, Catherine Jenkins, um, who I, I think is lovely. I really do. She did a lot to popularise um, classical music, and that's a fantastic thing to do. Uh, but we were talking about this because she's got a very big, you know, social media following because she's of the generation where, you know, that came naturally to her. Uh, and I, I don't really, because it all seems a little bit trivial yeah. yes. in a sense. Yeah. But then I know now that that is the way apparently you sell tickets and, and become popular. And we must embrace that. It's just, to me, another example of how sustaining a career as a professional musician is very, very difficult. You've got a lot of masters to have to please, to have the privilege, really, of doing the one thing you want to do, which is just to to communicate with an audience, to perform. You know, allow you to access your innermost feelings, allow you to express emotions that you've buried for decades because that's what happens in concerts that's what happens when people hear music they suddenly are crying and they don't know why and you know it is therapy isn't it mm. at its best but the 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 magic of it will never cease how can governments not understand how important that is yeah. how can how can successive governments not appreciate that and and not understand what we give we as musicians to society and the money we generate and the great esteem that we are held in. We're the best in the world at this. And yet, you know, governments give us 
grain to make this music with. You know, they give, they give us crumbs. They give us what they can find in the bottom of the, you know, of the of the bin when they've finished with everything else. And I'm sorry, it just makes me apoplectic. He might have gathered. But you know what, Leslie, even more so this last couple of years when people have needed music more than ever. And yet so many musicians that we all know have I mean, be completely struggling to keep body and soul together because, of course, they haven't had anywhere to perform. So, obviously, charities like Help Musicians UK have been paramount in there in the work they've been doing. But I mean, how does that? I mean, what examples can you share with us of, of, of how things have been over the last couple of years for musicians? Well, Help Musicians have had to start a, a, a telephone helpline, a bit like Samaritans, I suppose, for musicians. Uh, there are so many musicians with mental health problems because making music is what we do to be healthy you know it's it's we've almost got no choice you you you're kind of born to perform we've helped hundreds of thousands of musicians of all kinds all of whom they've lost their life and they've lost their living we have lost so many to who've had to get jobs just get jobs doing filling shelves you know driving trucks uh, and i don't think we'll get those back so it, it's been a nightmare. It's been an absolute nightmare. Um, it's very hard to practice when you've no nothing to practice for. I mean, you do, of course, you do. Um, and it, and and also when you have to put food on the table for for your family, you know, you you have to go out and find something. Or if you, you know, if you if you if you can't manage on the furlough money, if you're lucky enough to get the furlough money, lots of musicians didn't get help from government. Uh, you know, because we fall between the cracks. Music in any circumstance, particularly in a circumstance where life is threatened, as it was in the pandemic, music is vital, absolutely vital. That's where some so many online choirs were successful. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's hard to do. I tried that. It's really hard. It's really, really hard. Yeah, just technically and trying to keep everybody together. And and also, I think you know, you're right. It was a real lifeline. And it was great, but it, 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 those things have a shelf life, don't they? I mean, you need to be. Yes, with people in there, yeah. But the, but the power of music to heal is a is a well documented thing. There's some fascinating research. I'm sure your husband's probably heard of as well around sound therapy. Extremely powerful. I heard about um, a wonderful project they were doing in Plymouth University. I think I think it was a PhD student a few years ago. Now he was working with early onset uh, Alzheimer's sufferers, and he set a list of tasks to music. So just things like, you know, I get up and brush my teeth and then I walk the dog, something like that, you know. And when he set this, these tasks to music, they didn't forget one. They got up and did all of those tasks. That is an excellent tip. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you, know, you don't need to convince me of the, of the power of music to improve society, to heal um, at its most basic, but to hold us together hold us together mentally and physically. If you take an inner breath to sing, not for nothing is it called inspiration. That, that's always struck me, that you, you, to, 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 you inspire a breath. <laughs> and then what you can make with that breath is also inspirational. A breath to sing is not like a breath to do anything else. It's not like a breath to talk or to whistle or to shout. It's a breath that's going to turn into sound. And that sound has the power to heal. Now, that 
is the most profound thing any any of us can do and we can all do it we can all do this you can stand tall it may i'm gonna have to do it while i'm talking to you because i just have to do it you can you can start to, to sing properly and this has nothing to do with doing it professionally you have to stand tall you have to stand square you have to find the strength in your body you have to make your body take in this magical breath that is going or you have to allow your body i should say to take in this to inspire this magical air that's going to create sound that's going to liberate you as a human being so you're going to fill a room with sound you know even if it's your bathroom you're going to make the air move in that room it's going to connect you with your inner authority it's going to make you strong you know it's going to do you good and anybody can do it that's what makes me excited you know even if the sound you make is horrendous it's yours it's your sound you can do what you like with it you know and I, I just think the power of that is is just maybe this is what I should do in my retirement. This is this is Leslie, this is this is your mission now that you are officially, as you say, a national treasure and you've been in a bus with Cliff Richard. I mean everybody's got to listen to you and everybody's now got to sing. It's so powerful, Katie. You know it is you sing. Yeah. You know, it, it just makes you feel so good. It's it's just like for me, it's like brushing my teeth. You know, I just have to brush my teeth and have a belt. <laughs> and, uh, and it just connects me up. It's just the whole of, of the whole of me is connected. Then mind, body, soul, spirit, uh, and then I'm able to to just be outward. Then you yes. know, it just makes me be able to to be to see outwards because I've yeah. sent something out into the stratosphere. I've sent a sound out that I care about. Leslie, <laughs> you are an inspiration. It is true. Thank you so much to Leslie Garrett, to Alicia Hillman, to John Kutsalinis, to Dean Williams, Jamie Parker and the People's Orchestra. And if you'd like to find out more about their Commonwealth Community Initiative and their concert on Sunday the 24th of July, head to their website at thepeoplesorchestra.com. In the next episode, Jamie will be chatting to the People's Orchestra's youngest player, eight-year-old, yes, eight-year-old cellist Aurora Chin Chan. And we'll be hearing from some fantastic young poets whose work is featuring in the Birmingham Children's Poetry Festival and from Birmingham's Poet Laureate, Casey Bailey. And last but most definitely not least, I will be chatting to the wonderful Ian McMillan, poet and presenter of BBC Radio 3's The Verb. He is fabulous, so I can't wait for that. If we've inspired you to join a band or an orchestra or a choir, do search online for music groups in your area or get in touch with Arts Council England, the Arts Council of Wales, the Arts Council of Northern Ireland or Creative Scotland. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media for updates. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram and if there's someone you think we should be talking to in the podcast, let us know and we'll do our very best. Thanks so much for listening. 
Just the Tonic with Katie Derham was produced by Jill Davis. It's a Peanut and Crumb production, supported by the People's Orchestra and by Arts Council England. Thank you.